Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Guys, it was 1968. The Apollo 8 astronaut named Bill Anders, he took pictures of the Earth from his spacecraft that since became widely published. Looking back on his trip to space, Anders said of our planet, he said this, it was the only color we could see in the universe. And there's a reason for that. Our world is remarkably designed for life. Now, listen to this. Scientists have determined that we, where the earth is, is in the Goldilocks region of our sun. Goldilocks. You go, what do you mean? See, we're not too far away and we're not too close. We're just right. And they call it the Goldilocks region. Now, here's what I want you to think about for just a moment, okay? As we approach the book of Genesis, we need to see that if you and I, if we were much closer to the sun, what would happen? We would be cooked to death, right? And if we were much farther from the sun, this would be, we would be frozen solid. Now, I know some of you feel like you're frozen in this church sometimes, right? In the middle of summer, right? Sometimes summer is a woman's winter because the air conditioning is so hot. Anyway, I digress. Let's go back to the word of God. Now, think about this. If more than if during the next orbit around the sun, the earth were to deviate only a fraction of an inch every 20 miles or so, we would either fry or freeze within a year. That's how unique and spectacularly privileged our orbit is to the sun. We're in the Goldilocks region from the sun. In fact, you guys know this, our planet is tilted 23 and a half degrees in a very Goldilocks kind of way. The earth revolves around the sun and it does this in this 23 and a half degrees on its axis because that tilt, our planet is able to support more life than if we were perpendicular. So we got to be at 23 and a half degrees. Now, here's what I want you to see, okay? One of the things that's going to change the climate and the weather is when we have, and we have a earthquake and it starts to move the polar axis, it can change exactly how the weather, our patterns, and so forth. So kind of keep that in mind. But right now, we are, we are good. See, If the earth wasn't tilted, guys, then the poles would be colder, the equator would be hotter, and the less of the earth's surface would be livable. Some things, guys, we must consider is that first and foremost, our Lord created the universe and the world. As a matter of fact, the whole Bible, and I'm going to get into this a little bit deeper. The whole Bible, I want you to think about this. I want you to let to feel the weight of what I'm about to say, just fill your heart. The whole Bible hinges on Genesis 1.1. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Now, listen, this is why Genesis 1.1 has been attacked for so long. You go, why is that? If we can break break this, if the enemy can break this into a dozen pieces, well, guess what? Everything falls in our lives. Everything that we believe in Scripture falls. You go, well, like what? Well, first and foremost, like the virgin birth or the resurrection, right? The salvation by grace. And so what the enemy wants to do is he wants to take and he's going to try to shatter the very first verse of this book. 
You've got to keep that in mind. Because he'll argue the virgin birth all day long. He will even, he'll even question the resurrection. But what he wants to attack in your life and mine is in the beginning, God. If you're looking at Genesis 1-1, you can circle the word for God. We're going to talk about it a little bit next week. It's the, it's the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim. And that's used throughout the Bible. I'm not going to get into it right now. But remember, in the beginning, Elohim, God, right? Three in one, three in one, three. You go, how so? Well, if it was one God, he would use the term El. El is one God, okay? Elo is two or more. And then the, the Hebrew term Elohim would give us three or more gods. We know this as what? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, okay? So we know that that's been attacked. Now, the book of Genesis, guys, is foundational to the rest of the scriptures. We have to understand it. The book of Genesis is so foundational. What a person believes about creation influences the way they view the rest of the Bible. What you really believe about this verse, right? So what does Satan do? Satan knows that, and so he comes in to create doubt or simply for us not to believe in a divine creator. That's what he's been doing to our children for many, 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 many years. He wants us to, to, again, guys, think about this. This is how I was brought up. I was brought up in a very religious home. And yet the school system taught me that we had evolved, and you guys know the story, and I didn't know any better. I just assumed that's how it was. And it wasn't until I got saved at 17 that I finally went, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Satan comes in simply for us not to believe in a divine creator. And what does he do, guys? What does he do? He's, his biggest weapon is something called evolution, right? Evolution. They teach you this in school, the Big Bang Theory, and so forth. But he, here's what we know, right? We all know about the debate between uh, creationism and evolution. And as a matter of fact, I said, I, I'm kind of curious about this debate, right? Now, you and I have seen and heard this debate for years. Was it, was, and, and, and I'll get into a little bit deeper, guys, as we go through. Now, we're going to hit the scriptures and we're going to teach the scriptures. But again, here's the debate. Was it creationism, Genesis 1-1, or was it evolution? Okay? And then some people will try to find a middle road and they say, well, God actually created the evolution. Now, again, next week, we're going to pull that apart and see that there were, it was the days that were very literal. Very literal. So it wasn't evolution. It wasn't God. We, we call it a creation, an evolution creationist kind of thing. So what is the debate? Well, I read a story, guys. I read an article this week on the very subject. I just want to read you some so you kind of get an idea. Here's how he starts off. He says, did modern life on the earth evolve over millions of years? Or was it created in the blink of an eye by God? That's the gist of the debate between scientists and creationists, which is ongoing ever since Charles Darwin published his theory in 1859. The scientific evidence is clear. The earth, he says, was about 4.5 billion years old, and life evolved from primitive single-celled organisms. Nevertheless, biblical literists reject the evidence and operate from a viewpoint that the Bible's book of Genesis is the historical count of creation. Here he's shown the battle as played out. 
strictly defined, creationism is a based on a literal reading of the Bible's book of Genesis, which describes the creation of the world and all the life and over a period of six days. That's what you and I believe. Perhaps no battle in creationism versus evolution war is more famous than the Scopes monkey trial. In 1925, Tennessee school teacher John Scopes incriminated himself for teaching evolution in the classroom, purposely, purposefully challenging a state law prohibiting evolution from being taught. Now, check this out. 1925, 100 years ago, it was against the law to teach evolution in the classroom. How far have we come? You go, well, that's almost, let's see, we're 2008. Wow, it's, it hasn't been almost 100 years, but think about it. It was against the law. Help me out, church. Is it against the law to teach creationism in, church, in school these days? They sure make it feel like that, right? Right? You would be silly to believe that there is this divine, uh, intelligent design, and he spoke into existence the world. Think about it, 1925. So he, he, he basically incriminates himself for teaching evolution in the classroom, Right? And the trial was intended to generate publicity, and it worked like a charm, the article says. The cast was star-studded. Famous attorney Clarence Darrow defended Scopes, while three-time populist presidential candidate William Jennings Bryan prosecuted. Americans listened to the court uh, proceedings over the radio. In the end, Scopes was found guilty and fined 100 bucks. The Tennessee Supreme Court later overturned the verdict on the technicality, but it held the law preventing evolution from being taught. After the trial, other states enacted their own anti-evolution laws, but gradually the anti-evolution movement lost steam and evolution snuck back into the textbooks. Let me just say this, okay? Satan and his attacks is very patient. He will wait it out as long as, he will, as long as he has to in order to get the win. We know that God wins. Can I get an amen? Okay. But we understand that our foe, our enemy, he'll wait it out. He'll wait it out. He'll wait it out. Now, we're going to talk more about this next week. But what I want to do, guys, in the time we have... I want to build the foundational truth so we can build our faith over the next 50 chapters in this amazing book, okay? So what I want to do is I want to lay some foundation, okay? If you're taking note, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down Genesis, okay? Genesis, the book basically of Genesis, chronicles the creation of the world. Now, I'm going to give you what it means here in just a minute. It chronicles the, the what? The creation of the world, the universe, and the earth. It reveals the plan within God's heart to what? To have his people very own set apart to worship him. That really is the book. Okay? Now, the title Genesis, here's what you want to take notes of. The title Genesis comes from the Greek word meaning origin. Origin. So you go, okay, so what does that mean? Genesis means origin, but in the Hebrew, it actually, here's what's very interesting. The Hebrew name for the book is Bereshit, B E. R-E-S-H-I-T, Bereshit, and it comes from the opening words, in the beginning. So you have the origin in the Greek, you have the Hebrew, and it all means in the beginning. It was 
Pastor Skip Heisig, who penned this, and I quote, God turned the lights of the universe and got to work making the natural world. Celestial bodies, oceans, land masses, animals, plants, and the pinnacle of his creation was man. That was the pinnacle. Now listen, more than just the first five books in Scripture, Genesis, and here's what you got to remember, here's what you got to get, okay? Genesis is the foundational book in the Bible. Everything else remaining 65 books, right, the remaining 65 books, builds upon its central truth. Until you understand Genesis, you can't fully grasp the rest of the story. You have to understand Genesis. Probably for that reason, listen, the New Testament quotes the book of Genesis more than 200 times. And it's important we understand Genesis because when you read the New Testament, you'll go, oh, where are they quoting from? Oh, they're quoting from the book of Genesis over 200 times. So it's important for us. Now, here's what I would encourage you to do. If you don't have a dedicated notebook for the book of Genesis, I'd say you go out, get one and say, okay, I'm going to take notes because it's going to be foundational for you in your walk with God. Okay, when we talk about Abraham and we talk about Jacob or we talk about Joseph or we talk about Isaac, you'll have these key fundamental, the foundation to help you and you'll go, oh, okay, I understand, I understand, okay? So Genesis is absolutely essential to everything that follows. So here's what we got to do. Let's do some work, right? Who, let's talk about authorship. Who wrote it? Who wrote the book of Genesis? Right? Well, it's mostly credit to Moses. Let, let's see. Genesis, guys, is the first book of a larger work. Right? The first five books of the Old Testament, who can help me with that? It's called the Pentateuch. Very good. The whole law is the Torah. Very good. But the first five books is Pente, five, the Pentateuch. So Moses is credited for writing the book of Genesis. Okay? That's where most people go. He is the author, and it's traditionally ascribed to him. Now, here's what I want you to do. So that I don't just go, hey, I think Moses wrote it. Let's move on. I'm going to give you some scriptures that they say supports Moses as the writer, okay? If you're taking note, just jot these down somewhere. It's Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 8. It says, it says, see, Moses is writing, I have set the land before you to go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And he mentions Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them their descendants after them. Moses would have written that. Okay, back to Abraham. Jot this one down. 2 Kings 13.23 says, But the Lord was gracious to them, had compassion on them, regarded them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not yet destroy them or cast them from his presence. So again, they're saying, okay, this is all dedicated to Moses. And of course, 1 Chronicles 1.1 says, Adam... It mentions Adam, Seth, and Enosh. Now, all of these allude to Genesis as part of the, Joe, the Torah, the law of Moses. Now, around the dates they say they wrote this is about 1450 to 1410 BC, right in that area, okay? But I'm thinking encompassing all of the Pentateuch. Now, Let's put our thinking caps on, right? Because what we don't want to do is just simply go, I think Moses wrote it. I, well, let's just go with Moses. Moses seems to be the guy. I want you to, let's just think about this. Undoubtedly, Moses had both oral and written records of early history. 
which he used under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to write about the event intended his own life. Naturally, someone else would have, what, would have written about the account of his death at the end of Deuteronomy. Somebody had to do that because he died, and don't think he could come back and say, let me finish writing the book, I'm dead. So we have to naturally assume this. Now, let me give you my opinion. My opinion is that I believe 100% Moses wrote this, but I also believe that Adam probably, he probably gave an account, had a record of creation, and under the power of the Holy Spirit, this is just my opinion, that Adam kept an account of all that had happened in creation. But under the power of the Holy Spirit, much like the New Testament writers, I believe that he would give credit to both. Now, why do you believe this, Ben? Why do you believe this? Let me tell you why. Because I wasn't there. I, we don't know. I, you know, when we talk about Genesis 1-1 and we say, in the beginning, right, you're going to have everybody stand up. This side of the church is going to say, I believe in young earth. And then this side of the church is going to stand up and say, I believe in old earth. We weren't there. But see, that's not foundational. What's foundational is, is, is right after that. In the beginning, Elohim, God created the heavens. And so that's how we got to stay focused. Okay. We don't want to get in debate of when or what or what or what or what. I believe Moses wrote this, but I believe under the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe Adam, it was documenting everything, right? He was, he was born. He wasn't born. He was created intelligence, intelligent. And so I think he did that, right? So we know, we know who the author was. Let's just credit Moses. Thank you, Moses, for writing this and the other four books. Now, let's chat about who this was written to. You go, Ben, that's Captain Obvious. Well, if you're taking note, it was written to Israel, obviously, right? It was to the people of Israel. Genesis serves as the real-life history of individual people. But here's what I love about the book, and here's where you and I, here's where we got to make a commitment. Now, you go, what's the commitment? Either to come on Wednesday night or to listen to the podcast. Why? Because as Gentiles, although it was written to Israel and it was the history of, of, of men and, and Israel and all that, listen, listen, we have some great, great, great applications for our own lives. You see, the Word of God is going to give us the foundation we need to go out every single day and to live and to grow. You see, here's what's going to happen. As we lay the foundation, it, right now we go, Pen, it's just a hole. It's just a hole. We need it. But when we put the foundation and you put the cement and then the walls start going up and you start to see windows and you think, man, the house is amazing, right? But right now it's just a hole. Now, if you guys know anything about foundation, you know this, right? The higher the building, the deeper the hole. And so we want a good foundation. We want that. We want that, a good foundation, okay? So we know who he was written. Well, Ben, what is the theme? What are the theological themes? Well, jot this down, okay? Because Genesis is going to contain these themes. There's really five of them, but we'll just look at them. Number one, it's the doctrine of of the living personal God, okay? The doctrine of the living personal God. Doctrine just simply means teaching. Number two, here's another great theme we're going to see. The doctrine of men made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei. Guys, listen, I am so, I was, somebody asked me, so you've been studying Genesis? I said, my brain hurts. Why? Because I was even just looking at the Imago Dei, God creating. Think about this. And, and the passage, the Lord says, right, 
he says, let us make man in our image, right? And one of the things that blew my mind is who's he talking to? He's talking to himself, right? He's talking to, the, to basically the son and the spirit all in one, but they're having a conversation within themselves. Now, for you and I, sometimes we have a conversation by ourselves, don't we? We're walking down the street. We're going, how are you? I'm fine. How's it going? And we're talking to ourselves, right? That's not what I'm talking about. But think about it. He says, I, he, says, he says, let us, right? Let us make man in our image. And you go, so Ben, does God look like me? Probably not, okay? But you have his spirit and you have, it's just, it's just the most amazing thing. So guys, when we get there, we'll be able to dissect that. And there's some, there's just some amazing things when you think of the Imago Dei. Because now you have the triune God, right? The Father, Son, and Spirit making us into his image. So what does that make you? An image bearer. That alone means the enemy hates you. That alone, the what? The devil wants to trip you up. That alone, the enemy wants to, oh, think about it. He just, you're, you're, you're an image bearer. You're an image bearer. Think about our lives for just a moment, guys. Think about our lives. Sometimes, sometimes in life, man, life seems so hard and we struggle so much that we find ourselves and we feel like we're just, we're just dented fruit. You know what I'm talking about? Dented canned fruit. That's what we are. We're not worth the real price of fruit. I mean, that, that's over on the good aisle. I'm on the end cap that says clearance because nobody wants to buy dented fruit. Because if people walk by and go, that's dented fruit, man. Who's going to want this? Peaches, but it's got a big old dent. Nah, I don't think I'll take 50 cents off. No way. And see, that's how the world sees us. But because you're in the image of God, you are not dented fruit because it's, it's what is on the inside that counts. You see, if you were to buy that can and you open it up and you put it in a bowl, what is it? It's good fruit, isn't it? And where does a can go? Exactly. You know what the enemy does, Melissa? It says, you're dented fruit. You have, you, have, you have jumped off this shelf one too many times, girl. He wants, to, he wants to get you. Guys, that's not who we are. You are made in the image of God. If you get nothing else out of this Bible study, you go home tonight and you say, thank you, Lord, I'm made in your image, in your image, the God that created the universe. The third doctrine, we're going to see the doctrine of sin into the world. Now, that's important. You go, why? Guys, it's fractured everything, and it's fractured our relationships with each other, and it's fractured the world. Sometimes you go, yeah, I'm a sinner. No, 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 no. It, it really fractured, and if we understand the fracture, then the Redeemer is so much sweeter. Till sin be sweet, or till sin be what? Better, Christ will not be sweet. Oh, this isn't a church that talks about sin. No, we have to talk about sin because all it does is it makes my relationship with Christ so much sweeter. Why? Because he saved a wretch like me. He saved a wretch like me. I don't pretend to be anybody I'm not, right? Santos, I was going to say something that Ryan said, but I better not. So he, he knows what I'm talking about. Number three, number four. 
the anticipation, right? The doctrine, the anticipation of a redeemer, all in the book of Genesis, okay? And then number five, the covenant promises made to the nation of Israel, the covenant promises. Why? Because that's going to help you when you read Romans, right? Romans 9, 10, and 11 all deal with Israel. So when you understand Genesis, you'll be able to go, oh, yeah, first eight chapters of Romans deals with us. But then he goes to 9, Israel's past, 10, Israel's present, and 11, Israel's future. So you'll understand that, okay? So these are the, these are the central theological themes, doctrine of God, the doctrine of man made in his image, the doctrine of sin, the anticipation of a redeemer, and the covenant promises made to the nation. Now, here's what I want you to do. You guys are taking notes, and I'm so proud of you. Here's the goal. Our goal over the next however many weeks it takes us to go through the book of Genesis is to see if we find Christ in the Scripture. If all you had was the book of Genesis, could you find Jesus as the Redeemer to set man free from sin. We're on a treasure hunt, ladies and gentlemen. We're on a treasure hunt. We're going to see if we can find that. Now, let me set the landscape real quick, guys. Uh, Genesis is set in the Middle East. Places in Genesis include the Garden of Eden, the mountains of Ararat, right? Who knows the mountains of Ararat? Where is the mountains of Ararat tied into? And, and what, what's the biblical significance? N- who is that? Ark, Noah. See, very good. So she, she knows that, right? What about Babel, Ur, Haran, Shechem, Hebron, Beersheba, Bethel, and Egypt? These are all the landscape we're going to talk about. Now, now here's where we get into Scripture, okay? I want to take a moment, guys, to look at some key verses. These are some key verses pulled out of Genesis Okay, we're going to cover them in detail, you know that, for the future, but let's just jot them down and let's just talk about them for just a moment, okay? The first one we find is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, key verse, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It starts off and says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Now, why is that a key verse? Because it gives us the state of the earth before God organized creation. Organized creation. He already created it, okay? In the beginning, God created. The word created is vara, B-A-R-A. Created out of nothing, okay? So God didn't go, man, there's a clump of, man, there's a, there's a clump of dirt just, just floating around. Let me do something with it. I think I'll make earth. No, 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 no. When he says created out of nothing... It means nothing. You and I, we can't, we can't create anything. Although you guys are amazing um, um, designers, you cannot create something out of nothing. It already exists. You pull something and you go, oh, I'm a great sower, so I'm going to create out of this pattern, right? Joe, when you plant, you don't create out of nothing. You actually create out of the seeds and you cultivate. You, you see how that works. God created out of nothing. So then next week, we'll talk more about why people think this verse is very interesting. Another key verse, another key verse, Genesis chapter two, verse 18. And the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. This is one of my favorite verses. Why? 
For the first time, listen, God saw something that was not good. Everything up in the first chapter and two chapters, he goes, this is good, this is good, this is really good. But he says, this is not good. That man should what? That man should be alone, right? See, God never intended for man to be alone, neither in marital or in a social sense. He created us to have relationships, guys. He said, it's not good for us to walk alone. Now, now here's, why, here's why this, why do you like this? Because I could picture Adam, right? Adam, you're pretty, you're pretty smart. Thanks, God. Appreciate this. Why don't you name all the animals? Okay, that's cool. Hey, that looks like a lion still over there. Well, if sin hadn't happened, so the lion wouldn't eat him yet. And he goes, that looks like a lion. That looks like a leopard. Hey, that's a platypus. I think that's a platypus. Yeah. Oh, look, there's a butterfly. After he got done naming all the animals, he's, he's kind of bummed out. Why? Because there's no one that looks like him that would be, what? Compatible. Even if Adam had a dog who was his best friend, right? Give me a boy, give me a boy. It's still not the same. And so God says, it's not good that Adam is alone. I'm going to make him what? What is he going to make? A helper comparable. And so again, when Adam sees Eve, he says, wow, man. That's where we get woman, right? He's like, wow, man, what a... Right? Anyway, you didn't get it. So anyway, so it's just sad. You guys are just sad. Anyway, so, so the point is, the point is, guys, this is a central thing. But here's what I want to point out real quick. Not only was the woman to be a helper, she was also made comparable to the men. She should be considered and honored as such. You see, a lot of us will run over to Ephesians and say the woman needs to be, she needs, she needs to submit to the men. That's not what God said early on. He said it's a helper. Although man, although he created man the head of the house, he brought woman by his side to what? To help him. Because we're a bunch of dummies, aren't we? We really are, right? We can't find nothing. Your wife puts it away, but she shouldn't put it away. It's right there, but she'll put it away. And instead of searching, don't do this, guys. Instead of searching, just ask her. Because she hates when you search. You just ask it, right? But but she is such an amazing that she's there to help you. She's there. No, I'm the king of my castle. I rule the roost, and what I say goes. Man, you're silly, because God said this is a woman who should be coming alongside you to help you. Another key verse. Verse chapter two, verse twenty through twenty-four, key verse here. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs out and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from men, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, wow, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. A couple of things real quick on this verse, guys, because I'm running out of time, but here's what I want you to see. For God to cause Adam into a deep sleep where he would cut him, Brother Joe just had surgery, he say, it hurts. Can you imagine, God caused Adam to fall into, I mean, almost like anesthesia, and he takes out a rib, right? Takes out a rib. Let me let you know a little secret. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, can I spoil it? Can I spoil it? 
Did you know, now you can research this, the rib, when it's, when it's surgically removed properly, it's the only part of the 206 bones that can actually grow back. You lose an arm, it doesn't grow back. You lose the rib, if it's done properly, and I think there's no greater surgeon than the Lord, it can actually grow back. That's trippy. That's trippy. Now, we'll get more into that, but, but, but concerning Adam, I mean, I think about this. After Adam, right, after God created Adam and Adam had been in the garden for a really long time, he started to get a little lonely. So Adam went to God and said, God, this garden is amazing, but I'm starting to get a little lonely. Is there anyone out there you can send to keep me company? And God answered, I have the perfect person. She will help you with almost everything. Really, Lord? She'll clean She'll cook, she'll wash your clothes, be your friend, even rub your feet after a long day. She really is perfect in every way. Adam said, Yowzers, that sounds great. How soon can you send her? God replied again, I can send her right away, but there's only one thing. It's going to cost you an arm and a leg to get her here. And Adam thought for a moment and said, what can I get for a rib? Right? <laughs> Now, that's just a joke. That's just a joke. Let me give you another key verse. Genesis chapter 12, 2 and 3. Another key verse. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless, you who, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? God promised to make the nation from Abram. And he will have children and grandchildren. Now, we learned this at the conference, but isn't this trippy outright? Abraham means father of, uh, father of a nation, right? Father of, and isn't that kind of cruel? It's like, what's your name? Abraham, what does it mean? Father, how many kids do you have? I don't have any kids. That's kind of cruel, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, man. That's like being named the Olympic swimmer and you don't like water. What's your name? Olympic swimmer, swimmer right? Five-time gold medalist. Have you ever been in the water? No, I hate the water. Poor Abraham. But anyway, we'll get to that just a little bit later. He says, I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. Now, let me give you the outline of Genesis, okay? Let me give you the outline. This you want to jot down, okay? And then we'll, we're going to finish up. We're going to finish up our study uh, by showing you Christ in Genesis real quick, okay? Here's the outline. I'm going to go slow because I want you to write this down. The outline of the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 3, we see creation. We're going to talk about creation all the way to chapter 2, verse 3, creation. Now, remember I said this is a what? This is a book of history. But more importantly, what? His story. From Genesis chapter 2 to Chapter 2, verse 4, to chapter 532, we are going to talk about Adam and Eve's story. So you have creation, and then the outline is Adam and Eve's story all the way to chapter 5, verse 32. Okay, this is a great story. What can we learn from Adam and Eve? Then, after Adam and Eve, from Genesis chapter 6 to Genesis chapter 11, verse 32, we're going to talk about Noah's story. 
So you've Adam and Eve. Let's chat with Adam and Eve. Then let's talk about Noah. Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but that's going to take us all the way to chapter 11. And then from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 25, we're going to see Abraham's story. Abraham's story. So you've got creation, Adam and Eve's story, Noah's story. And let me just say this. It's going to be far more in-depth than the, the flannel boards you grew up in church with. Oh, that was Noah, right? That was Noah. I mean, when you really think about Noah, when you think about the ark, you know, we're, we're, we're just kind of, we're kind of a cute people that go, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, the nursery is going to be so cute when, when little Bobby comes and, 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 and we're going to have Noah and the ark and it's going to be all these animals. But you realize what the story is all about, right? And God killed everybody on the earth. That's not really a children's story. But we've made it that way, but we're going to dig deeper and see how that applies and see exactly how, how the ark is a type of Christ. And how Noah's name, does anybody know what Noah's name means? Dun, 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 dun. For 100 points, dun, 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 dun. No, his name means rest. His name means rest. I'm also going to show you in Scripture how the names from Adam all the way down is going to show you the gospel message. It's going to be amazing. Okay, so what else? Okay, from Genesis 25 to 28, we're going to see Isaac's story. Isaac's story. Isaac was a type of Christ, was he not? Right? When Abraham was, what, called to offer him up on Mount Moriah? Right? Abraham, yes, sir, Lord, I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir. Take your son, your only son. Whoa, 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 time out. <laughs> time, right? What I want to show you there, guys, is culturally. See, because I used to struggle with this, right? When, when, when my kids were little and, and I read this passage and I'd be, what would God, what, what if God asked me to sacrifice my Miranda or my Talia? What, what? I just, God, I'm sorry, I love you a lot, but I don't know if I could do that. But culturally, it was a lot different. God would never ask us, and I want to show you that when we get to that place. Culturally, the firstborn was always given to God. And so Abraham wouldn't trip like we would. But although he was willing to do it, okay? Isaac. And then from Genesis 28 to 36, we're going to see Jacob's story. Jacob. Right? Does anybody know who's, what, what Jacob's name was changed to? Israel. Very good. Very good. They're going to change his name. Why? Because Jacob, if you recall, he wrestles with God, doesn't he? And then his walk is different after that. He walks with a limp. And he always remembers the day he wrestled with God. Jacobo, Jacob. And then from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50, we'll end up with Joseph's story. Joseph. These are the patriarchs, guys. Noah, Abraham, Isaac. Well, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph are the patriarchs here of the book of Genesis. And so we all see their story. But more importantly, guess what? It's his story, working in the lives of ordinary people. Ordinary people, right? Why? Because although Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord... We can relate to Noah, can't we? You know why? 
Because right after he got off the, off the boat, off the ark, he ends up getting drunk. That's a bummer. Abraham. I mean, Abraham, this dude, this dude trips me out. Why? Because he goes down to Egypt. He looks at his beautiful wife and he says, say you're, say you're my half-sister so they don't kill me. Right? And the Pharaoh ends up taking Sarah into his harem and God's like, dude, no. It's, a, yeah, it's sort of a half-truth, right? He, I mean, but you go past to the point. These guys are just like us. Just trying to make it through the day with the, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Christ, can we find Jesus in the book of Genesis? If Genesis was the only book you had, could you present the gospel, could you, here? Well, it's a good place to start, right? Genesis chapter uh, 3.15, right? Go ahead and jot this down. We're going to see if we can put Christ here. It says, Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman... And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, Genesis. You go, what's he talking about? Well, first and foremost, we see Christ in this. You go, how so, Ben? I don't, I'm not sure. You can jot this down. Christ is the seed of the woman. Christ is the seed of the woman. Now, here's what you need to know, right? You all know that women do not have seeds. Women have eggs. So what is the seed? said the seed of a woman is what? Christ was the seed because, because men have the seeds, but it was the Holy Spirit, his same spirit that what? That put the seed into Mary. So right off the bat, you go, okay, well, let's talk about what, what does this mean? What does this mean? How about this, guys? Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. The word of God says, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We see here Christ in the seed of Abraham. In the seed of Abraham. Right? Because why? Because the word of God said, in you, you, Abraham, all. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, how does that work? Because all of us are the spiritual descendants of Father Abraham through Christ. That's why in Sunday school we sing, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right? That's right. You guys remember that. That's, that's why, because, because in Abraham, man, Right? A lot, of, a lot of people will go up to Nathalie, even in Israel, and say, are you Jewish? And she says, yes. Really? And she goes, well, I'm a spiritual descendant of Abraham and David and so forth. Another Christ in the Bible here, guys, is uh, Genesis 49.10. Genesis 49.10. And it says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Right? You go, what's that? Shiloh descended from Judah. Who is this Shiloh? Again, we see Christ in the scriptures. Why? Because it says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Quick quiz. 
from what tribe does Jesus come from? The tribe of Judah. Good, Alice. Very good. See, so the scepter shall not depart from the tribe of Judah, nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh comes. Now, let's do a quick compare and contrast Old Testament, New Testament. Christ, guys, is the life giver in contrast to Abraham who, or I'm sorry, to Adam who brought death, right? Because Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. What's he saying? Remember Adam, right? Adam brought sin and death into the world, okay? Very, very important, okay? Adam should have been there protecting his wife, okay? Do you guys remember what he said? You are flesh of my flesh and bone of... And then the next, in the next chapter, it's the woman you gave me, Lord. Look at her. She didn't even clean right or nothing. I swear, I have to redo the dishes every time. Right? He goes from, he goes from writing poetry to blaming his wife because sin is so destructive. Christ, guys, is the ultimate object to whom the sacrifices point. Genesis 3.21 says, And for Adam and his wife, the Lord made what? Tunics of skin and clothed them, right? When you think about tunics, right before, the Bible says, And they were created, and Adam and Eve, and he said, Wow, she's a knockout. And they were naked, and they were not ashamed. After sin fell, they looked and said, Oh my gosh, we're naked. God had to literally kill an animal in order to clothe. There was a sacrifice. And so that points to Christ. Why? Because in John one twenty nine it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In addition to the sacrifice, Isaac points to the death of Christ, who was the Lamb provided by God. Genesis 22. Remember, we talked about it in Mount Moriah. Christ is also prefigured in Melchizedek, whom Abraham paid tithe. So here comes Melchizedek right out of Scripture. No beginning, no end. Nobody knows anything about him. And Abraham bows and he pays tithe. Joseph's life is also an illustration of Christ. Both were objects of their father's love. Both were hated and rejected by those closest to them. Both both were sold for a price, condemned as an innocent, and raised from humiliation, blessing by the power of God. Joseph. When we get to Joseph's story, that's going to be amazing. Why? Because it's exactly. Now, Joseph, right? Joseph was a little garrant. Jesus wasn't, but Joseph would come in and go, listen, I had this dream. You were all bowing down to me. And his brothers were like, well, I'll show you bow down, you know, and they wanted to get him, right? But... But in context, remember, his father loved him, and he went all the way. And I mean, and, and he was falsely accused. Ever been there? Falsely accused? And, and uh, no, no, Mrs. Potiphar, I, I don't want to sleep with you. I, I, I can't do this thing against God. And she yells rape, and he gets thrown in the prison. I mean, can you imagine? Just looking at Joseph's lives makes me go, man, I'm blessed because I don't know if I could handle that. You know, brings new meaning to the song, I Was Framed, right? I was framed because poor Joseph's in the... But 
anyway, God raises them up. Now, let's close with this. Let's close with this. I titled this message, Ladies and Gentlemen, Meet God. Genesis 1.1 says this, In the beginning, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Guys, this is the doorway to the Bible. It's the key that unlocks every other portion of Scripture, right? If we understand, here's what I want you to get, guys. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can believe that, then the rest of the Bible will be easy for you, right? Because God literally made something out of nothing. So miracles for him, no big deal, right? When you think about Jonah and the big fish, piece of cake. God can do that. God can do that. When we talked in, in our Sunday morning study about Jesus walking on the water, it wasn't hard for Jesus. It was a piece of cake, right? It's like walking in the park. Think about the floating axe head or even a talking donkey. Not a big deal. Or a physical resurrection from the dead. Why? Because if we can believe in the beginning, Elohim, our God, he created everything. This is his show. The sunset you see, give praise to the God. The sunrise tomorrow morning, the air you breathe, the fact that you ate today, the, the fact that you're here, alive, God's got an amazing plan. But here's what I want you to see, okay? Here's what I want you to see. If, if, if we believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created, that settles it. I believe it, Genesis 1-1. If you can believe the central foundation of that verse... And you can believe for great things in your life. You can believe that you can be happy in this life. Despite some of our mistakes. You can believe that God is going to use you like never before. You can believe that. Listen, I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Right? It's exactly, God, here, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want. I don't want to motivate you because motivation comes from within. I want to inspire you. Here's what I want you to say. I want you to see, listen, what could God do with our little church if we're willing to just, if we believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, he did it. And what he, what he wants to do, I'm ready. I'm ready. You'll say, what's our goal? Our goal is to see so many people walking with Jesus victoriously. I want to see people who, who, who are on an upward, progressive sanctification and, and, and not beat down by the world so much. You see, it's in you. You guys aren't walking around going, yeah, I think I'll go to this church. I don't know where. How did you get here? I don't know. Car just drove here. I just sat down. That's, God brought you here on purpose because he wants to do an incredible work. And both our John study and our Genesis study, guys, we should be growing. Let's just even use that term. We should be growing like weeds. We should be growing. Our walk should be different. Our foundation should be solid. And when somebody comes to us and tries to question our faith, we just go, sorry. Sorry. Let me tell you. God chose a rib 
the old, and, and, and when we get into that and you see that every part of the rib, the DNA, all of that in there, it's going to blow your mind. When, when you realize that everything in you is made from dirt, everything in the topsoil of it, anything in the crust of the earth is in you, yeah, it's like God goes, watch this, Adam! If he can do that, he's so powerful. Let me leave you with one last thing, okay? If you believe the resurrection, that Jesus died and he resurrected, it tells us that the resurrection power is in you. Here's what you got going for you today. You're made in the image of God and you've got resurrection power. Man, we should go out of here stoked, shouldn't we? Don't let anybody tell you different. You're canned fruit. No, I'm not. I am made in the image of God, and I've got resurrection power. Booyah. Right? That's what I'm going to go with. Father, thank you for your word tonight and the truth in your word. Thank you for your great love. Thank you, God, that we can worship you and we love you. Thank you, God. We look forward to what you're going to do on Sunday. But more importantly, we look forward to what you're going to do tomorrow in our lives. Lead us, guide us, help us to share Jesus. Lord, we're not interested in religion. We're interested in reaching our community for you. So if you'll do this work in us, God, and myself, Lord, and whoever I meet, whoever I talk to, they can see the light of Jesus in my life. Lord, I ask, God, that you would protect our church. Keep these people just, God, just keep a hedge of protection around them. And, Lord, that we would turn Lubbock upside down for you. We ask this, Lord, that you would go with us and order our steps go before us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.